Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Friends, I'm so happy you're here with my greatest, greatest of Rebbe's, uh, Rav Avi, um, and who has just been um, a, a, a wonderful role model in every sense of an institutional builder, a, a pioneer, a synagogue leader, an author, an activist, um, and a spiritualist, a truly religious person who lives Torah, walks Torah, um, and is seeking God and seeking to you know help us all connect more deeply with God and Torah. So although it's not my uh, honor today to, to give his intro, I'm going to just say those brief words and then pass it over to my colleague, uh, Andre Ivory from our partner Orzion today to give uh, the, the, the more formal intro. <laughs> Thank you, Shmuley. Um, it's definitely an honor for Congregation Orzion to co-sponsor this event today. Uh, I definitely want to uh, welcome you, uh, Rabbi Weiss, to uh, yeah, educate all of us uh, today, I'm looking forward to hearing from you as well. Um, Rabbi, it, it is, um, I, I definitely have read um, a, a certain a number of your articles over the years, and I do share the sentiments of, of Rabbi Shmuley um, that I have definitely, even though we have never personally met, learned a lot from you uh, through your writings. So Rabbi Avi Weiss, the founding president of Yeshivat Chobavei Torah, uh, the Modern and Open Orthodox Rabbinical School in New York. He's also the Senior Rabbi of the Hebrew Institute in, River, in Riverdale, New York. Um, most recently, uh, he founded Yeshivat Maharat, um, a school ordaining women to become Jewish spiritual leaders. Rabbi Weiss was named by Newsweek as one of the 50, in, in multiple years, one of the top 50 rabbis uh, in America and um, certainly has been the author of many books, including Spiritual Activism, A Guide to Leadership and Repairing the World, and Holistic Prayer, A New Guide to Jewish Spirituality. Um, and uh, he also serves as the national chairman of the student uh, struggle for Soviet Jewry, and is the national president of AMCHA, the Coalition for uh, Jewish Concerns. It is a pleasure on behalf of Congregation Ortsion to welcome you um, today and to introduce you. So I, um, without further ado, look forward to hearing your words of wisdom and I turn it over to you, Rabbi Weiss. Thank you. Thank you so much for those sweet words. I'm so deeply, deeply appreciative. And it's, it's wonderful to be sharing some thoughts <clears throat> and words. And I'm looking at frames of people. I see my dear, dear friend, Rabbi Alan Uter, who's on from Jerusalem, I believe. And Alan is a tremendous, tremendous Tommy Chacham, and I bless you, Alan. Many, many more years of great health. And to all of you, I hope we have a chance to, to meet in the future. And it's, it's wonderful to be connecting with Rav Shmuel, who, you know, there are souls in this world, Rabbi Cook writes, but then there are souls who overflow their own beings and they even overflow their own communities and their own people and they encompass the whole world. 
not only all of humankind, but all of existence. And that's Rav Shmuley. He's a rare, rare neshama. And he really is the voice of the present and the voice of the future. It's Rav Shmuley's time. <clears throat> and it's just such a zechut Shmuley to be with you. Years back, we introduced a new term for orthodoxy and we called it within a framework of modern orthodoxy, we called it open orthodoxy. But as everything in life, things evolve. And if I were given another chance to give a term that would be explanatory of an orthodoxy, nay, of a Judaism, of all denominations and non-denominations, <clears throat> I think I'd rather use the term loving. We need more love. We need a loving orthodoxy. We need a loving Judaism. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. Our topic is activate the soul, lighting the fire within. And my sense is that the pathway is through Ahava. The pathway is through what can be called the Or Ahava, the light of love. And so I've asked my dear friends if they'd be kind enough to put on the screen a little nigun, the chance to bless, to write. And I hope you find it enjoyable as a three or four minute segue into our humble thoughts today. Nigun Or, the melody of light. How we all need light. The light of God. The light of Torah or Torah. The light of Israel and Zion. Or Chadash of Zion to hear. Light for the world. of God, God's love, the David, Hashem Uri, the Lord is our light.
Recently, I've, with the help of God and many others, I've had the, the kavod of writing a thematic commentary on the Torah. And it's called Torah Ahava. In English, loving Torah. And it's foundationally it emerges from the idea that God is a God of love. When I grew up in yeshivot, Mulcharedi yeshivot, the message that I remember hearing is a message of God being a God to be feared. And I'm not at all suggesting that we are not in awe of God. We should be in awe of God. Indeed, there are parameters to life. But for me, whatever fear of God means, it's tucked into something 
which is much larger. And that is a God, a God who loves. And in thinking about the title, I thought that the phrase loving Torah speaks to that idea. Loving could be a verb, samanafshi lelokim. My soul thirsts for God in a loving way. And moving in the reverse direction, loving could also be an adjective. The Torah is loving. Often in Judaism or whatever denomination we're in, I know in my days, we would speak about the synagogue I didn't like, the rabbi I didn't care for. We need to turn things around and not speak reactively about what I don't like, but proactively. Why do I lovingly connect with Torah? Lovingly connect with Judaism. Lovingly connect with God. Loving Torah. Torah Ahava. And it's often the case that we're afraid to talk about Torah and God is loving because this has become so foundational to, I would say, especially fundamental evangelical Christianity. Now, there are points of intersection, but points of real divergency between our faith communities. But because there is a Christianity and other faiths that talk about loving God, I think we should be bold enough to recognize that the foundation really comes from the Torah. We preceded many of these faith communities. And the Old Testament, which is a term that I don't care for, there's the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible, but our Torah is not a Torah that reflects a God of wrath, a God of severity, a God of punishment, but rather a God of love. And if we could put on the screen the cover that will be on this thematic commentary on the Torah, we're told in the book of Exodus that God speaks from the Kruvim. And if you look at the top of this paper cut, which was done by my daughter, Dina, and I can objectively say Dina is a brilliant paper cut artist. <clears throat> and a lot of the digital work was magnificently done by Rabbi Ezra Zelikson, a dear colleague and friend. You could see the wings of the cherubim, of the Kruvim. Right at the top, you can even point the marker at the wings right there on both sides. And for me, the Kruvim represent God's love as described in the Song of Songs. Dodi li va'anilo. I am to my beloved as my beloved is to me. It's the wings, the pinions that, that extend up and out and imagine the embrace, the hug. It's the most intimate, most intense of, of relationships. 
God is often, often described as our beloved. But the prophet Jeremiah in chapter three asks, yes, God may be described in spousal terms, of course, it's anthropomorphic, but spousal relationships, even in its imagery, are humanly made and therefore can be humanly broken. And so the prophet asks, what happens if one of the parties is unfaithful, lacks fidelity, and connects with someone else? Under those circumstances, according to Jewish law, the spouses who have divorced cannot reconnect, cannot come together. And if one looks carefully at Jeremiah chapter three, one notices that there is a transition of God being spoken of in spousal terms, again, anthropomorphic, to a God being spoken of in parental terms. God is our father, Avinu Malkenu, our father. God is our mother, Av Harachaman, Rachaman from the word Rechem, which means the womb. It's a mother's unconditional and infinite and unilateral love for its young, the fetus to become a being. And if we look closely at the Kruvim, right beneath those wings are two facial features. And the rabbis tell us that they're the features of children. That's the second kind of love. In the end, we're all children. When my father died in his late 90s, I was, I was just 70. And my father would look at me and he would embrace me and say, just remember Avrami. To my father, I wasn't Avi, I was Avrami. You're my little boy. We're all children. And so if we can point to the faces, if you could see it right beneath the wings, those are the faces of a child reflecting God's parental love for his children. And while that love may not be as intense as spousal love, it is a love which endures forever and ever. A mother is a mother is a mother. And a father is a father is a father. My rabbinate, rabbinate of over five decades, I've rarely seen couples who divorce come back together. Sometimes, but it's not that common. But when families and parents and children are at odds, thank God I've often experienced that there could be a making of peace. And if one looks very closely at this cover, on the right side, right on the right of the Kruvim at the top is a rose. Perhaps if you see it, you can point to it. That reflects the spousal love spoken of in the Song of Songs. Kishoshana ben hachuchim. You are like a rose amongst the thorns. That's the way we speak about God. That's the way God speaks about us. And on the bottom right, you could see a well. And that well 
is the imagery of Jacob seeing Rachel at the well. And it was love at first sight. It was a passionate, passionate love. Most of the love stories in the Bible take place at water. And so those two pieces reflect spouse love. And if we look at the top left, right beneath the Kruvin, you could see two hands grasping each other. They represent Abraham and Isaac, they, Naomi and Ruth, walking together, parent and child, that's parental love. And on the bottom left, you could see a bird hovering over its young. God hovers over us like a mother bird over its young. That's the key to love. What Milton Steinberg of Blessed Memory in one of the finest essays I've ever, ever read, he says parental love should be the love of embracing with open arms. We give our children wings, but then we have to love them no matter what, no matter where they fly. We hover over our young, try to protect them, but never crush them. If we crush them, the young, the eggs will crack. And this whole picture has the serenity of falling on petals of flowers. And if I could face everyone, that's the first point I wanted to leave you with, that God is a God of love. And because God is a God of love, God creates. You can't love in a vacuum. Even God can't love without an other. A God of love creates. And if I love you, I'm gonna give you of myself. God gives all of us a piece of himself. The most important concept I believe in the Torah is that every human being is created in the image of God. If we look deeply into each other, we all have a little bit of God within ourselves. Imagine God loving to the extent that literally he says, I wish to give you a taste of who I am and a God of love who cares, directs and commands and teaches. Very different than the Martin Buber approach who had problems with a God who commanded, especially commanded so many rituals. I very humbly disagree. I think it's a parent who loves, who teaches and a God of love commands. This is foundational to my understanding of Judaism, to my understanding of God's relationship, not only with the Jewish people, but with the world, to my understanding of spiritual activism, of the rabbinate, 
before you can be a great leader, before you can be a great activist, one needs a couple of loves. And the first love is you have to love the people you're serving. Not only love the people you're serving, one must be in love with the mission that I'm tasked to fulfill. The first step in activating the soul, in lighting the fire from within, in being that spiritual activist, is imitating the divine, imitatio dei, balachta bidrachav. As God loves us in that spirit, we are asked to love others. My second point, loving alone as an emotion is not enough. In fact, the very word love in Hebrew, ahava, is associated with the middle two letters, hav, which is a word found in the Talmud over and over. Hav means to give. Love involves giving and receiving. Let me say a word about that. I've come to recognize that as much as I still believe that giving is the cornerstone of love, receiving is also a great art. Knowing how to receive is not simple. As I get older and I'm closer to 80 than 75, growing older could be very humbling. One begins to recognize more than ever limitation and that one is dependent upon others. During COVID, my wife and I, Toby and I, couldn't go shopping. We were dependent upon others. And knowing how to receive has built into it a sense of, of vulnerability. Vulnerability. So to be able to graciously ask and graciously receive is no simple matter. My dear friend, David Wolpe, great rabbi on the West Coast, he offered the imagery of the difference between swimming and floating. In swimming, I have to use my hands and feet to be with the current or against the current. Floating is different. Floating, I have to allow myself to be vulnerable. And I have to really deeply believe in the capacity of the other, the capacity of the water to keep me buoyant. But having said that, it is still the case that the cornerstone of loving emotionally is not only that I love you, but I'm ready to translate that love into action. So let's take a look at number two and put up on the screens the writing of Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler, who wrote a beautiful piece. He wrote a beautiful piece about love and it's entitled, Giving. 
לתולדת האהבה. We have become accustomed to thinking about giving as being a consequence of love. I love you and therefore I give to you. Ki adam, the person whom I love, yetiv lo, I do good for you. Aval, but the second is equally true. Now he says something I'm not particularly enamored with. Which Rabbi Desla understands that when I give you, I give you part of myself. And since I love myself, I love you. There I part company because I think it's rather different. I give you and you're not me but I give you because I want you to be you. Think about spousal love. One of the highest levels of spousal love is, I love you so much that while we may have a commonality of purpose and mission and goals, another goal is, I don't want you to be me. I want to give you in such a way as I am helping you become the best you can become. And who you will become is not who I am. But what I'm especially interested in is the idea that I love you and therefore I give to you. And the reverse is also true. The more I give to you, the more I love you. Years back, my wife Toby and I, we went to a program called Marriage Encounter. And in Marriage Encounter, they had these slogans they'd put on the wall. One of the slogans was, love is a decision. And it's many years later. And I tell you, when I first saw that, I said, no, that's not right. Love is a feeling. And they were writing, love is a decision. Now, love is a feeling, but it's also a decision. Feelings are fickle, like yo-yos. One day I feel like loving you, and maybe one morning I wake up and I don't feel like loving you. What happens when I don't feel like loving you? Ah, but I've made a decision. From the decision, from the action, the loving comes. My favorite anecdotal story, when my parents were alive, it was my honorable responsibility, I'm one of five siblings, my parents lived in Israel to pick them up at the airport here in New York. And one day my father calls me and says, Avi, we're, we were forced to change our schedule. We're not coming in Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. We'd like you to pick us up. I said, Abba, I love you, but I changed my schedule. I was then a very busy rabbi. At least I thought I was a busy rabbi. It's very difficult. My father says, you know, Avi, Mommy's not feeling well. It's hard for us to grab a cab. Please pick us up. I said, Abba, you know how much I love you, how much I love mommy, how much I love you. It's just very, very difficult. And my father said, and my father only meant it well, but he said, why do you become such a hotshot rabbi? You don't have time to pick up your parents at the airport. I said, Abba, you know how much I love you. You know how much I love mommy. It's just very, very difficult. 
and my father then said, Avrami, which is now take me back to when I was a kid, this is getting serious. He said these immortal words. He said, Avrami, don't love me so much. Just pick me up at the airport. And you need that. How do you activate the soul? How do you light the fire from within? It's not only with the emotion, but it's with the action. And it's often the case that even if I don't have the feeling, and feelings are not right nor wrong, they just are. Feelings are feelings are feelings. I can inspire the feeling through the action. That's the base of spiritual activism. The base, the foundation is Ava love, but a love that goes beyond what's in my soul, what's in my heart, but it's translated into my hands and my feet. What Abraham Heschel said when he was marching down south and he was asked, but Rabbi Heschel, you're a rabbi and you're, you're marching in protest and you're not in prayer. And he famously responded, I was praying. But I'm praying with my feet. I'm praying with that action. Which leads me to a third point. This is all not so simple. Invariably, even if I'm ready to do with you, there are going to be obstacles. And in spiritual activism, in the igniting of the soul, in the lighting of the fire, as I act to inspire love, I must recognize that sometimes one has to be bold in the action. One has to sometimes go against what one wishes to do. In fact, I think the real heroes are the ones who do the right thing, even though it may not the simple thing, it may not be the simple thing for them to do. And for this, I'd like to go back to the first question God asks of Adam in the Torah. And who is Adam? Adam is not just Adam. Adam is the nature of the human being. The mainstream opinion is that Adam was both, both male and female back to back. They were connected together and the rib story is really the bifurcation into two separate beings. But after they sin, we, there is what I call the beginning of the Hineni syndrome. Vayikra Adonai Elohim, if we're able to point to that Ella Adam. And the Lord God called Adam. And God says, Ayeka, where are you? It is said about the first Lubavitcher Rebbe when he was in prison, that a prison mate asked him, doesn't this indicate that God is so limited? You mean God didn't know where Adam was? And he responded and said, of course God knew where Adam was. But he was asking a deeper existential question. He was asking Adam as God asks all of us every moment, Ayeka, where are you? Are you doing your share? 
Are you doing your part? Are you responding? Because to this Ayeko, there is no direct answer in Genesis chapter three. But later on in the Torah, the answer comes in on several occasions when there are personalities in the Torah in response to God's call of Ayeka, they respond and say, Hineini, here I am. I'm ready to do. I'm ready to act. And here's my Torah teaching. Every time a personality says Hineini, it means here I am, despite the obstacles, I'm ready to try to overcome. I've offered several examples here. Look at the first one. It's when God says to Abraham, take your son to Moriah. And it says that Abraham responds to this request, the second line, Vayome elav Avraham. Abraham responds, Vayome, he says, Hineni, I am ready. Even though he fully couldn't understand how God could ask him to take his son to Moriah. There were so many impediments, impediments, so many bumps. He said, here I am. And he struggled. And it was through that struggle that he came to understand that what God wanted from him was not that he sacrificed his son, but he not sacrificed his son. In Judaism, the ultimate sanctification does not come through death, but through life. But my key point is that facing this religious challenge, Abraham not only loves God, he's ready to act, even though it was not the simple thing to do. Or in the next text, this is a text when the brothers parted from Joseph they were upset with Joseph after Joseph had his dream. And Jacob says, the father says to Joseph, he says to them, he says that your brothers, he says, they are pasturing the sheep in Shechem. Let me send you, he says to Joseph. Joseph says, he named it even though it presented so many familial obstacles. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Not just ready to go when it's the Dava Pashut, when it's, when it's the easier road, but even when it's bumpy. Or another Hineni, when God says to Moses, at the burning bush, he says to Moses, Vayome Moshe, Moshe. And he's about ready to say to Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. What does Moshe say? Hineni. When you're the leader of a movement, does one think that when Moses went to Pharaoh, he didn't have fear? Only a fool is not afraid. The real hero is the one who, despite the fear, acts. I remember introducing General Arik Sharon as the fearless general who saved Israel with God's help. 
crossing with the pontoon bridges in the 73 war. And in front of hundreds at the synagogue, I called him the fearless soldier. And he got up and looked at me and he said, Kavoda Rav, honored rabbi. And I learned that day, if an Israeli calls you honored rabbi duck, he said, you think I wasn't afraid? Of course I was afraid. That was his power. That was the power of Moses. That was the power of Martin Luther King. Even though there's fear, who knows what can be? The love is such, they act on the love, even if it means climbing perpendicular mountains. We're ready to do the impossible. This is your Shmuley. This is what Shmuley is about. Why does he do what he does? He hears a calling. Shmuley hears the Ayeka. And he responds, Hineni, here I am, ready to do. One last word. It's often the case that when activating the soul, when lighting the fire from within, one says, what kind of difference can I make? I'm one person. And here I'd like to share with you just two words. Those two words are, who knows? Who knows what act that we think is such a simple act? Those acts and that act can make the whole difference. Look at number four. This is now the words of Maimonides, 12th century philosopher. In the English, accordingly, throughout the entire year, a person should always look at herself or himself as equally balanced between merit and demerit. Second paragraph, if she or he performs one wrong, the balance is tipped to the negative. Third paragraph, on the other hand, if I perform one good deed, it could make the whole difference. We need heroic spiritual activists but the heroes that I especially love are the humble heroes, the quiet heroes. One of my favorite pieces of Talmud is from the Gemara Megillah. And the Gemara says, Where is their greatness? The place of the greatest greatness is the place where there is the greatest humility love, acting on that love, even if there are obstacles to say he may and understanding that every little bit counts, that the greatest heroes in the world are the humble heroes, the ones we may not know about, they're unseen, you know, in the Dafyomi, the doing of a page of Gemara, the Talmud could sometimes ask the most absurd of questions. 
the other day they asked the question, the question was from where does hair grow? From the tip of the hair strand or from the roots? Now, obviously we know hair grows from the roots that out pushes out. But in thinking about that from a spiritual perspective, I think what was being said is, well, when we assess something positive that has occurred, who really is the one who should receive the credit? Is it the one on the tip, on the outside that everyone can see? Or is it the roots, the one that does the humble things and roots are often covered by soil and can't be seen? Every little bit, every little bit can make the difference, can make the whole difference. And so just some humble thoughts on activating the soul, lighting the fire within, all coming from the inner framework of what? Of what? Of Ahava. God's love, a love that we should be imitating. And just before we open this up to questions, I'd like, I think that Julie sent to you uh, another song that was inspired after the Pittsburgh Hara at the Tree of Life and how we need activists to respond to that. And I'm not only talking about activists who are going to speak out against anti-Semitism, which we need, desperately need, but one can also be an activist in speaking out against such hara with the little acts of kindness and goodness that we think makes a small difference, but makes the whole difference. And so if you have that, if you can play that for another three minutes, Ravavi, we do, I'd Ravavi, love to hear from you. Ravavi, we didn't receive a second. Um, uh, okay. But if so you want to sing go. it for us, if you have the co-op today to sing it for us, that would be wonderful. No, I can't. I, I wish I could. You may have it. You can Google uh, the Pittsburgh Nigun that, that Oh, okay. Uh, Alex, you want to see if you can pull that up real quick? Let's okay, see. but we can open it up now. Okay, great. Okay, friends, we would love to, we would love to hear any uh, questions you might have for Ravavi. Feel free to raise your hand or unmute yourself or write in the chat. In spirituality, one should never be afraid of silence. Silence has great power. Okay, and we have a hand up here from um, AEA Retired. Oh, oh, Janie. Hi, Janie. Oh, you're still on mute there, Janie. Oh, Janie, you're still on mute there. Sorry. Thank great. you so much for this um, talk, for this inspiration, getting the fire going in us today. Um, I wrote in the chat, I... Um, one of the major takeaways, I, I mean, there are so many from today's talk, thank you, was um, when he was protesting and someone said, why, why aren't you praying? And he said, I was praying. I was praying with my feet. And I think that opens up the whole um, area of how we respond to here I am um, and, and also praying. But it, through this whole section of your talk, the the thing that came foremost to my mind was Rabbi Shmuley. That's what he does. Every action of Arizona Jews for Justice, everything that he does is a response to 
his saying, here I am. Um, I, I don't know if, if you or the others on the broadcast are familiar with his book, The Five Ounce Gift. Um, it's a fabulous book. But what he did was look around uh, himself and say, what can I do? What can I give? And I think if that's a beginning point for all of us, it is our way, um, it, our unique ways of saying, here I am. Thank you so much. And I, I couldn't agree more with your assessment of Rashmuel. Rashmuel <laughs> is not my student. He's my teacher uh, uh, so many ways. Thank you so much, Janie, for your sweet words. Somebody else want to jump in? We, we did find your, your song, but we'll save that for the end if there's more questions. Oh, yes. Oh, hi, hi Eddie. And then Bracha. Eddie, then Bracha. Hi, uh, Ravavi. I've um, been inspired by your work as uh, my great mentor, Rabbi Shmuley, has helped me in my own spiritual pathway. I've, I've just been in awe. And uh, something that really gave me chills that you said is at the core of spiritual activism is love. And I, I think that that's a, such an important grounding that often gets forgotten when we think about spiritual activism is that the, uh, the fundamental is love. And I just got chills all over my body when you said that, because I think it's an important reminder to everybody who walks in a pathway towards justice. And it does it from a, a core sense of spirituality should look back and focus again on the grounding of love. So uh, thank you so much for, for this. Thank you. Rabbi say, love defies the rule. When we love, we're ready to do things that normatively we are never prepared to do. It's also true, they say, that hate could defy the rule. But I think we're here today with all that's happening in the world. I think that the passion and the emotion of love is much greater it can overcome. And in the end, we're here today because it has overcome the hatred that defies the rule. But I, I so appreciate what you're saying. Thank you so much. Okay, we're going to uh, Bracha and then Rabbi Yuder and then Judy. Uh, so two very small things. One is that I noticed that Ayeka, when you talked profoundly about um, this, despite Abraham saying Hineni and being absolutely available despite the obstacles that God didn't mean for him to, to sacrifice his son, but meant for him to use it towards life. If you look at the word Ayeka, numerically, it adds up to 36, which is twice life. So, so that was one thing that I noticed. The other was the power of the well. Uh, it's such a beautiful image that you put there. It's, it, it, it echoes for centuries. And why? Um, the well is like the overflowing of available water that's just there and receptive. And where people, it's a gathering spot. It's where people come together in community. It's it's where anyone who wants can draw from it. So it's it's like reminding us that even if you're just being there for someone without even without even taking action that 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 also is something positive thank you and you know on tisha b'av on the ninth of av we read the book of lamentations 
and the first word is Echa, we turn to God and said, Echa, how did this happen? How did you allow this to happen? But doing precisely what, what you did, looking at the word Echa, if we were to vocalize it, put in different vowels, it could spell Ayeka. We mm -hmm. ask God, Echa, where are you? And God responds, Ayeka, and where are you? We're in a covenantal relationship with God. God purposely created this world incomplete. If it were perfect, we would not be in the real world. We would be an angelic world. And so that's what spiritual activism is, to join in partnership with God. And we have a right to challenge God and say, God, do more. But we should be able to hear that voice of Ayeka as well. I have in on my desk a little give and take between two personalities. And person one says to person two, sometimes I feel like asking God, why is there so much poverty in the world? Why is there so much sickness in this world? Why is there so much racism in this world? Why is there so much violence in this world? And the second person says to the first person, well, why don't you ask God that question? And the first person responds and says, because I'm afraid God's going to ask me the same question. <laughs> Echa, ayeka. Beautiful. I just want to keep moving. I, maybe you'll put your thought in the chat. If you, if oh, I did put it in the chat about well Thank wishes you. and wellness coming from well. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay, Rabbi Yudur, then Judy, and then Tomir and Aglaya. Yes, thank you, Brahma. Thank you for a magnificent Musar. You explained very well Kriyashma that we've been saying for 70 years. When we say the Ahafta Es Hashem, that word Es means the word Ohev in Hebrew is a transitive verb. It changes the world. And every other language that we know of, the word to love is intransitive, it's a state of being. Love in the Hebrew Bible always has an S after it. It's a sign of a, of a transformative emotion, not a passive emotion. And for that, that, that you, you explained that magnificently. Just, uh, I, I, I want everyone to know that Rabbi Yuda, really for many more years, Alan, of good health, is one of the great rabbi scholars, great rabbis of our time. And he not only has ordination, in the normal sense of the word, but very advanced ordination, what's called Yudin Yudin and Alan. I often remind you that I had the great honor of being there when Rabbi David Weiss-Halivni bestowed, bestowed the ordination on you. I still remember that, that evening. So my blessings, Alan, you'd be well for many, many more years to come. Thank you so much, beautiful. Okay, hi, Judy. Hi. Um, Rabbi Weiss, what do you think keeps people and leaders in Judaism from engaging in a loving Judaism, a, a positive rather than a sustained uh, criticism and disapproval Judaism that I feel like a lot of my teachers as I was growing up engaged in? No, Shmuley, what do you think? What is oh, it? Wow. Wow. Well, I, I, I mean, the... Um, I have two short answers, but I'm much more interested in yours. I mean, 
most importantly is to have a mentor, me having had, having had a mentor like Ravavi who, who put love front and center. Um, and if one doesn't have that kind of mentorship of people who live that. Um, but secondly, I think that it's easy to forget that even rabbis have to do hard spiritual work each day to keep themselves in check morally and keep their egos in check. And um, it's easy to feel like one went to rabbinical school, you have your ordination or, you know, you land a great job and you've made it. But no, the work, uh, the spiritual work continues. And it's even, in fact, even maybe more demanding. And so I think um, I think building communities that continue to challenge and support us. I don't know, Ravavi, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that that's right on. And I, I, would, I would add as well, even though what you said stands on its own, that leadership and spiritual activism I think we could define it with two words, and those words are assume responsibility. And when I point my finger at others, in a certain sense, I'm relinquishing responsibility. What I'm saying is, it's not my fault, it's the other's fault. I've often thought of this, my brother David, who is an organizational psychologist, he once reminded me that whenever we're trying to, to do something about something, we often, and this is sometimes an instinctive reaction, we look at others and we put them down. We point the finger at others. But if you look at my hands now, I'm pointing at others. As I'm pointing at others, one finger is pointing at others. Three of my fingers are pointing to myself. And I've always felt that I don't know, always felt, but I've come to feel that in the end, I have just so much energy. I don't want to use my energy purposely, purpose, without purpose. And when I'm blaming others, I basically at that point is I'm putting it on others when I should use my energy and not putting the other down, but in building myself up, and building myself up is not a proper phraseology, by doing my share. It's uh, so I, just something to think. I mean, one could argue that when I criticize the other, I'm, you know, I'm, the, the goal is to change the other. So, so we're looking to do something, but I think it's tougher to look within how we can better improve ourselves. I think it's much tougher than looking to others and saying, oh, this is all happening because it's their fault. I've got to look, look from within. And I'm talking to myself and I'm letting you listen because it's a, it's a daily, daily responsibility to be able to keep asking that question. Am I doing my share? Beautiful. We're going to hear from our good friend, Tomer, and then our dear friend, Aglaya, and then we'll hear the closing nigun. And, uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you, Shmuley. Thank you. Hi, Tomer. Thank you. Just quickly, I, I appreciated when you said umiyodea, because I'm still in the poor and state of mind. And right. I just wanted to know if you could share, if, and I hope I'm not diverting our attention, but if you could just share a thought or two about this sense of personal responsibility and the Purim story. There's many elements to it, obviously, but right. what you focused on. I think the, 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 the key word for me in the Megillah is the word dot, dalit tough. There were certain rules and regulations that in the Persian world 
were immutable, inviolate. There was a way that they drank. There was, uh, there was a, a way that they had beauty contests, Kidata Nashim. There were the rules and regulations of the decrees against the Jewish people, Kidat, Badat Nabira. And when Mordechai asks Esther to go into the king, she says, I can't go in because everybody knows that Achat Dato, there's one rule. And he says to her, some of the most magnificent prose in the Torah, he says to Esther, this is your moment. If you want to step in, fine. If not, we're going to make it without you. You have an opportunity to make a difference. And then he says, who knows? Maybe this is your moment. And Esther responds and she says, you're right, Mordechai. I'm going to go into the king, but I'm going to do it not your way, by the way, she says. I'm going to do it my way. This, by the way, is a great feminist moment because the text is going to say that Mordechai is listening to Esther's advice. But the language that she uses, as Rabbi David Silber points out, is she says, And with that, I'll come to the king, even though I've not been invited in. That's, that's worth the price of admission. In Persian, Persia was a world of, if this is the rule, it can't be altered. Judaism is about whatever you think is the rule, we have it in our power to turn fate into a new destiny. My motto in life is never to allow what I cannot do to control what I can't do. And I want to bless you and ask you to bless me that, that we carry that message in our own humble hero way. Beautiful. Aglaia, you want to take our closing question? Hi. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to do this really quickly. So first of all, I really, really love, and I'm going to cite your phrase, you can't love in a vacuum. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why that, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm really emotional right now though, but one of the reasons why that really hit me was because of the fact that um, being a teacher, I sometimes hear from students that, hey, I wanna go out and take on climate change or I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna, you know, destroy climate change, destroy poverty, I'm gonna do this. And it's just sort of like, okay, kid, wait a minute, chill. You're not going to be able to, you know, fix all of these problems on your own. Now, for philosophical reasons that are too complicated to get into, personally, I'm not convinced that humans would even have the capacity for love without all of the suffering in the world, okay? But like I said, it's a philosophical thing. And so if I'm talking to this young person, I say, mm, do you realize what you're getting yourself into? Now, they're going out there with all of this love and you know, I'm not sure that at 17, you understand all the sorrow that is gonna come at you when you take on this work. And sometimes I would tell them, and it's kind of like seeing that, you know, kind of look on their faces like, oh my gosh, I'm going to actually see all of this suffering and everything. You, you know, can you think of a, just, if you were to talk to someone who's 17 and not say it a very blunt kind of way, but explain, but the love is worth, would you rather love and experience a sorrow or would you rather just, yeah. How do you step up and tell 17 year old, Hineni is not an easy thing to say. 
Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I, I think it's okay to inspire young people to dream. That's their role. As we get older, we're, we're so careful every step of the way. And I'm glad when I was younger, I, I took a lot of chances. I went by the seat of the pant with my instincts. I don't know if Dr. King, who I really view as a, a Rebbe in spiritual activism, I think if he thought through every step of what would be marching in Selma and Montgomery, maybe he wouldn't have done it. I think we need the passion. That's why the prophet says, Yeshayahu says in Isaiah 11, young people will lead the way, even though I want her to place an accent, we need mature people as well. Each has something to, to contribute. Abram Heschel, counterintuitively said at a White House conference on aging in the Kennedy years, he said, growing older, those years can be our most formative years. It's really quite something. And I'm a very big student of intergenerational education, intergenerational conversation, intergenerational activism, intergenerational prayer for me is very important. But I, you know, I hear what you're saying and just uh, thank God that there are teachers like yourself who understand the values of, of being there. Friends, we're going to close with a two to three minute uh, nigun from Pittsburgh. And uh, this was, it's, not, it's not accidental that Alex is going to play it uh, live from Pittsburgh. So <laughs> right, and this, uh, this was written, uh, inspired by what happened in Pittsburgh. And it's a, about the Hasidic words, a little bit of light a little activism can push away the darkness. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful message, the, those words. Yeah.
Beautiful friends, thank you so much for joining us. Mayat minha or docha harba minha choshech, a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness. May we all continue to take Ravavi's teachings and uh, show our own responsibility to bring light. Ravavi, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.